John chapter 6 and verse 63. Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. This Pentecost Sunday, my title is God's Life-Giving Spirit. Throughout the years of very rigorous training, what started out as a bit of a hobby and an opportunity to get out and meet people outside of the churches who don't know Jesus is one of the things that we did, a number of us adopted some scuba diver training, and you say, oh yeah, that's an excuse. It was a big excuse, A, to have fun, but more importantly, to mix with people who, who don't yet know Jesus. And we had a lot of contacts. People have come to Christ through that underwater ministry, and um, they had a call sign for me, and, and mine was the bishop, so they knew all about our faith. But some of us went right the way through the training and actually qualified as scuba diver instructors. And on the way to that qualification, a lot of theory, a lot of science, a lot of practice, a lot of practical skills, one of them you had to develop was for safety reasons, that you could rescue somebody who might have got into trouble in the, in the water. And I remember an exercise that we had to do. I've never had to put this into practice in a, in a real life situation. But I pray that if ever happened, I would be able to save that person. And the exercise was this. The scenario was somebody is unconscious in the, in the water. There's scuba gear on. They're floating on the top of the water, but they're unconscious. So you've got to get them out of the water and, and for help as quickly as possible, the emergency services. But in the meantime, you are what stands between that person and death. So you don't need to know what to do. Now, you, you can't do, if somebody stopped breathing and they're unconscious, you, you can't do chest compression. It doesn't work in the water. So you have to focus on rescue breathing. We call it the kiss of life. And we have to time it in a certain way and, and help take the person's kit off in between giving rescue breaths. You're taught to do it on your own in case you're the only person there. Highly, complex, highly complicated, actually quite easy to carry out, but very, very significant. The kiss of life. The original kiss of life never happened in water. It happened a long time ago. In the last stages of the original creation, God making this beautiful universe, this amazing planet, and in a certain blessed part of that planet, a beautiful garden, and there he created humanity. Created in a very special way, carrying God's image, and therefore the act of creation of humanity is distinct. God did it in a very special way. The Bible shows us that God began out of the dust, and the word there is shaping and molding, so I, I rather think it was not dry dust, but maybe clay. And God formed and shaped a clay model of a human being. 
Nobody had seen anything like it before. You might say, an amazing work of art, sculpture, Michelangelo, eat your heart out, never came close. This perfect act of creativity, and there Adam lay, nothing more than a clay model, not living, just a clay model. But then God did something absolutely amazing. It's put in highly graphic language. The God of the universe bent over this clay model and Yahweh put his mouth to the mouth of the clay model and his nostrils to the nostrils of the clay model and into that clay model God simply breathed the first kiss of life and breath entered that clay model and Adam stood now no longer just a sculpture but a living breathing human person wow the spirit brings life everything God touches comes alive water turns into wine dry bones live dead sons come back to life Dead sea, salty water becomes fresh. And even our stony hearts become soft. That's the kiss of life. But there is also a kiss of death. When our lives are separated from God, we're dead. We're born into death. If we could really see what's happening. Every newborn child that's born into this world must take its first breath. When that child takes its first breath, there is a sigh of relief all around the uh, ward. And, and, and people rejoice. But that's the breath of physical life. We're all born into a broken world that is dying and hurting and from the very beginning it sounds highly, you know, an awful thing to say but it's, it's the truth. You're born into this world, you are born with this mortal body and the sure fact of life beyond birth is death. We're born into death. We're living in death. We become spreaders of death and it ends in death. How we need the kiss of life. And that's what we're remembering today. 
six weeks after Easter, the seventh Sunday after Easter, which is today. It's called Whit Sunday. Thank God for the age of Google. Why on earth is it called Whit Sunday? What does it mean? Well, it's a contraction. White Sunday, Whit Sunday. So why is it called White Sunday? Some say, well, of course, you know, it's a great day to be baptized, and it talks about the pure white robes of water baptism that Christians dress in and be baptized on Whit Sunday. Others say, no, it goes back to the tradition where the, where the women on, on Whit Sunday would dress in white. It was just their way of celebrating. But I, I like another little bit of research that I discovered. It is uh, by this uh, Augustinian canon in the Middle Ages. His name was John Merck. But that sounds too early. I mean, it sounds too modern. So his name is John Merck, as far as we're concerned today. Born and lived towards the end of the 14th century, beginning of the 15th century. And he had the definitive answer. Why is it called Whit Sunday? He said, because we celebrate the day when the Holy Spirit brought wit and wisdom to us all. If ever we need to keep our wits about us, it's today. If ever we need wisdom from the Holy Spirit, it is today. And this is vital for me because so often we celebrate many other aspects of the Holy Spirit and His coming into our lives, and we don't always put high up the agenda the fact that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. In our society today, truth has fallen in the streets. People are even asking, is there such a thing as truth? In Dr. Frank Turek's presentation, he, he asks four questions. And if we can address these four questions in the affirmative and show that there are good reasons why we can say yes to these four questions, then we've made a way open to share the gospel with others. And the first question is this, does truth exist? Second question, does God exist? Third question, do, can, can miracles happen? And fourth question, is New Testament true? But it begins with the question, does truth exist? Now, it's a very good question. You might say, well, it's a silly question. It's not a silly. If you've been watching television recently, you wonder, does truth exist? One of the things I don't like about a party political campaign is you never quite get the truth. Now, I'm not saying that they're up there lying, but I'm saying that, you know, you don't get the whole truth. You, you get the side of the truth that suits the candidate. And they're all at it, don't worry. They're all at it. The, uh, we're still recollecting the, um, the American president ele election presidency, and, and that was like, oh my goodness, there's alternative facts, there's fake news, there's all, uh, and truth. Where does truth fit in? And it's not just politicians that struggle with the idea of truth. A whole society struggles with the idea of truth. Have you heard people say to you when you share your testimony, I'm so happy for you, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. If it's, true for, if it's true at all, it's true for everybody. We have to get to grips with this. And so today, we need to understand that whatever else the Holy Spirit does, he comes to breathe life through truth. And that's why I've taken this verse from John chapter 6, when Jesus is making some very hard statements. And he says, you're going to need, have to need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to have to explain this to you. 
You're going to need revelation because truth that is imparted is not just intellectual. Truth has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit so that we understand who Jesus is, not just from a human perspective, but we understand from a divine perspective, our eyes are open to the spiritual reality who is Jesus the Christ. And Jesus is is preparing them for this very difficult statement, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he he said that as much as to put people off a wrong understanding of him. They would stop seeking him with the mind of the flesh, with their own human understanding, that they would begin to look more deeply into who he was. He was not just a miracle worker. He was not just coming to be an earthly king. His kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom was a spiritual kingdom, and we must have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. So he says this, the spirit gives life. I know you can't understand me because you have not got the revelation of the Holy Spirit. You must come before God and cry out to God and say, show me your truth. The Spirit gives life. How can a dead body hear anything? And if you are dead in your sins, you need a resurrection. You need a spiritual resurrection. You need the Holy Spirit to give you life. And then he said, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Can you see what Jesus is saying here? Don't listen to my words with fleshly ears and understanding. Listen to me with spiritual understanding. Let the Holy Spirit show you who I really am. And by the way, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. So this brings together one of the most important marriages we could ever be encouraging. It's the marriage between truth and life. Truth leads to life. Error leads to death. And so he's saying there is a marriage. We could put it this way, the the word and the spirit. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Because truth is on the side of life and life is on the side of truth. I'm generally passionate about every topic that I choose to bring to you. It's just how I work. If I'm passionate about it, I I feel excited and want to communicate it. But I'm particularly passionate about this marriage between truth and life today because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But very few people are hungry for truth. They're not looking for truth. They're looking for happiness. They're looking for earthly success and and the hunger that is in them, they, 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 they kind of believe that anything other than the truth will do. And this comes right down to your friends and my friends. You know that I have what I call the Avant Eglise group. In all my traveling in France, the work we do in France, we have Jean Hugues and Elizabeth. Uh, here who, who work with us in, in Marseille. Welcome to you, by the way. And, and know that over the years in building the Bible school there and the language school and all the work that is happening, over the years, I've made loads of contacts. Sit in the 
the cafe culture. It's a wonderful culture out in the terrace, there with your little uh, croissant, <laughs> with your petit café, sipping coffee in the terrace with many people. And people are very friendly. Talk, 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 cafe culture, talk, talk, talk. And over the years built a large network of friends, especially young people. They're fascinated by me. They say, what do you do? I say, well, what do you think I do? And I tell them every legitimate answer to that, apart from the fact I'm a pastor, because they're boring, <laughs> au revoir. And um, one of these people sharing faith with them. And you know, I know, I, I know what it's like. Don't think I just say, hey, you've got to witness to your friends. You've got to go make friends. I know what it's like. The record for me is the longest, eight years of witness for me, somebody finally becomes a Christian. Eight years. Don't give up. Don't give up. Not everybody's ready to say a big yes immediately. Hello, I'm a Christian. Do you want Jesus? Yes. What's that? A big yes? A big yes. Some of the fruit is very ripe. Pluck, pluck the fruit before, before it falls to the ground. It's there, but some fruit is not quite ripe. But you've got to be there. You be a friend. You're there. You pray. Anyway, after a few years of witness and testimony, this personally finally converted to Islam. <laughs> I felt really upset. I thought, what am I going to do? Am I such a bad witness? Anyway, kept praying. You love people, you're f whatever, don't you? I'm not saying, oh, well, you're supposed to convert to Christ, and you haven't, so I don't want to know you anymore. No, kept friends, kept praying. On my last trip to Marseille a week or so ago, I had some wonderful news. He's given it all up. He's rejected Islam. So, that sounds encouraging, doesn't it? And of course, that's, that's better, because if he has discovered that Islam is not the true faith, then he's closer to understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, by the way, everybody has a right to believe whatever they believe, but just what they believe doesn't make it right. You get it? We love people anyway. And I was, my celebration of this was short-lived because I began to ask some questions. And here's the thing. Why did he embrace this religion? Did he do it because he was in search of truth? Did he do it because he, he found truth there? No. It was for other reasons. Personal reasons. He was looking for family. He was looking for community. He was looking for affirmation. And he got it for a while from that community. But when it turned a bit difficult and he found it wasn't quite as affirming as he thought it would, he gave it up. So he went into it 
not for truth, and left it not because of truth, but because of personal preference. So we need to pray more than anything else for our friends that God would make them hungry for the truth. We believe in Jesus not because he makes us feel good, not because he answers our prayers, not because he blesses us. We follow Jesus Christ because he is the truth. The truth. Are you on a truth quest? This was a question Frank asked yesterday. Are you on a truth quest or a happiness quest? And our society isn't that bothered about the truth. They're searching for what makes them feel good. And sometimes the truth hurts. Usually in the beginning it hurts a lot. Because the way into the kingdom of God is not by receiving wonderful affirmations about how wonderful you are. You enter the kingdom of God by understanding that you, along with every other person on this planet from Adam right up until today, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And without Christ, you are lost forever. That's the truth. So we thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit breathes truth into our hearts. Are you hungry for truth? Now, one of the things we have to stress here, and I hope I, I don't sound as if I'm contradicting myself. Try, try to, I'll try to explain what I mean. On the one hand, we have got to Ask God to enable us to use our brains. Reason is a gift from God. The ability to reason. When God breathed his spirit into that created being, Adam, one of the things that distinguished Adam from the rest of creation was that God gave him a rational mind, a rational understanding, and a consciousness capable of reason. Various times in history, reason has been exalted above its rightful place, and so it has been used at certain times to reason and exalt itself above the knowledge of God. The strongholds of the mind that hold people captive, false philosophies, false ideas, lies and errors, which are accepted by the truth because of our fallen human understanding. And when we come to Christ, God wants our mind renewed so that we can begin to think like the Holy Spirit thinks. That we would have the mind of Christ and be able to reason with the reasoning of the Holy Spirit. Now then, here is the point where we have to clarify because I'm not now talking about human reasoning and human ability as if following Jesus was only a matter of intellectual capacity. It'd be very unfair if God said, the most intelligent ones will see this and you will go to heaven and the rest of you dumb people, too bad. 
We don't get to heaven by the intellect. Amen? So truth is not just a matter of the intellect. Truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, when the spirit comes, the spirit of truth, he will lead you into all truth. And by truth, it's not just equations and the ability to think and reason rationally. It is more than that. It is a personal relationship with God who is the truth through the word of the gospel, which is the gospel of truth in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth by which you embrace Jesus, who is the truth of God. So it's about personal relationship. It's about the truth of God entering deep within you. And when the truth begins to work, it it, it goes beyond mere intellectual understanding. It gives to you and ministers to you the wit and wisdom of God himself. The deep working of the Holy Spirit in the inner recesses of your soul touches stuff that even goes beyond anything you could ever apprehend with your mind. It's a powerful encounter with God. And when the truth of the Spirit is put on the inside of you, God's seed lives in you. And that produces from the inside out the kind of fruit that truth will bring. And so today... As we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, let's think about it like this. On the day of Pentecost, God's truth was outpoured, available for everybody. I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. God's truth is available. The spirit is available. He's working in your heart. He's working in your mind to convince you of the truth that is in Jesus that you can build your life on it. The truth to be received. And that truth that is received begins to work from the inside out. So the truth becomes fruitful in your life. You are changed from inside, the inside, to walk in truth, to live in truth, and to produce the fruits of truth. Truth received, truth lived out, and finally, truth shared. One of the hallmarks of the day of Pentecost and hallmarks of any true move of the Holy Spirit is not just the manifestation, speaking in tongues, the praise and the worship and all and miracles and all these things. The biggest proof that the Spirit of God is working is when men and women are convicted by the Spirit of the truth that is in Jesus. And on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 of them came. Wouldn't it be amazing? Spirit of God, come upon us today. And by the end of our summer of evangelism, we've got 2,000 people in the kingdom of God Because we shared the truth. So the truth of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit come together. Finish with this because this is one of the most common questions that I'm asked when we're sharing with people. Well, Colin, why are you a Christian? Are you paid to be a believer? You're a professional Christian? No, my wonderful dear brothers and sisters, you couldn't pay me enough to do what I do. 
I do it because I'm passionate about Jesus. No, I'm not a Christian because it's a profession. So in this chapter, chapter 6, Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and they said, ugh, disgusting, I'm going to go and find another religion. And they all left him. And Jesus turned around to his team, his 12, he said, how about you guys? Are you going to go as well? There's the door, are you going to go? John 7, 68, Simon Peter answered, if you're reading the Gospels for the first time, Simon Peter answered, you'd say, oh, what's he going to say next? Sometimes he opens his mouth and puts his foot in it. Other times, brilliant stuff comes out of his mouth. Here, he's brilliant. John 6, 68. Do you want to go away as well? You're going to leave me. There's the door. If you want to go, go. Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Somebody says to me, why are you a Christian? I say, well, where else am I going to go to find life? You tell me. Where else in all of the world, in all the history of philosophy and thought and religion, is there anything like this that God came down to this planet in the person of Jesus Christ and took upon himself the sins of us all so that we might through his life find grace and forgiveness? Show me! Any message like this, show me anyone who lived and walked with such clarity and was able to proclaim God with such power and authority and who predicted his own life, his own death and resurrection and did it and lived it and is alive today. Show me anyone else that can say that he has received of the promise of the Father and poured out God's Holy Spirit upon us all that we all might find life. Show me. No, no, no. Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. God grant us today another Pentecost. Not just that the church may be blessed. That too, but not just because of that. But the multitudes might hear and believe. God, give us a greater thirst for truth and a greater appreciation of the truth that's in Jesus. And God, give us the ability by the Holy Spirit to awaken people's conscience and love and desire for the truth, the truth of the Spirit of life. Mm -hmm.